Daniel chapter 10. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belshazzar, and the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words. And as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O oh my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can... My Lord's servant, talk with my Lord, for now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, 
I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. It's the word of the Lord. As I was beginning to consider this chapter last month, I thought in my head that there is really no better way to start the new year than to think on Daniel chapter 10. And it helps us orient ourselves for the reality that we live in in our day-to-day world. Now, chapter 10 is part of the final vision that God uh, gave to Daniel um, through the angel. Uh, it's the fourth vision, and uh, chapter 10 is the introduction to that vision. And then chapter 11 and 12 are the vision uh, itself. So it's quite an extended introduction uh, to this vision, which tells us there's something important, I think, about the words that uh, are recorded in Daniel chapter 10. I find these verses very helpful because they give us insight into the nature of reality. Uh, Daniel 10 takes us behind the scenes of history, so to speak, to see both the physical world in which we live and the spiritual world with which we live. And it shows us that there is this ongoing and continual conflict between material or our physical reality and the spiritual reality in the heavens above us. It also gives us insight into the fact that we can play a part in that spiritual conflict. We get a glimpse into Daniel's life and how Daniel made an impact on the physical world by um, calling out to God in the spiritual world. And so we do have a very real role to play in the coming of God's kingdom and in God's will being worked out here on earth. We find in this chapter again this reminder that the events of human history are inextricably tied to the events that take place in spiritual history, so to speak. And so this, uh, this, this chapter is about the connection between the physical realm and the spiritual realm. Four small points that I want us to think about as we think about chapter 10. And uh, there's lots more that could be said, but uh, these are, I think, the things that at least stood out in my head. The first is simply this, that there's a difficult word that Daniel receives. It's a summary of this old vision that he's about to, to receive, and it's simply this, that there is a great conflict going on. The context is helpful. He says that it took place or received this vision about the third year of Cyrus the king. That places us about 536 B.C. And if you follow anything of uh, the history of the Bible, you know that a couple years earlier, in the first year of Cyrus the king, he had made a decree that granted all the exiles in Babylon the freedom to go back to Jerusalem. He gave them back many of the articles that had been stolen from the temple and said, here, take them back with you and rebuild your city. And so this was two years after that, after he had given the blessing for them to return. At this particular point in time, it says that Daniel received a word. Three times the word is mentioned in verse 1, and so that seems to suggest that it's an important word. It says he was a word that was revealed to him. It was a word that was true, and it was a word that he eventually came to understand. And so by that, he's telling us that this vision that he is about to record is a vision that came to him from heaven. It's a word of God from heaven. It's a true word. And I find that is connected to, which we won't say much about at all today, in verse 21, where there's a reference made to the book of truth. That is God's history book, so to speak, with all the history of the world is written down in it. And so this word of truth that he receives is connected with the words that are recorded in the book of truth. And eventually, Daniel tells us he came to understand it. In a nutshell, what is the word that he received? 
Well, it's the word of a great conflict. He says that right there. It was a great conflict. Now, very few people say, well, it's the conflict that he experienced in himself as he received that word. I don't think that that's at all what it's a reference to. I think it's a reference to the great conflict in which he's going to be given insight and which is the reality of the world around us and the world that we live in. It's, a, it's, a, it's about the coming conflict that the people of God are going to experience in a few hundred years when Antiochus IV comes to the throne in um, Israel. And it's about the great conflict that the people of God are going to continue to experience right down until the day Christ comes back again. If I had time, I would just uh, expand on some of these conflict points in the Bible. There's so many of them. We could go back to the Garden of Eden, and there we find that Satan enters into the garden to tempt Adam and Eve. We can go a little bit farther to Job chapter 1, and we find there that in heaven, uh, the, the sons of, uh, of the earth are gathered together, and there God has this conversation with Satan, which, which involves then the conflict that Job will go through on earth. There's another point in uh, the book of Zechariah where Zechariah is actually ministering to the Lord and Satan stands beside him to accuse him as he's ministering to the Lord. We go to the garden where Jesus is praying and the cross and we realize that there Satan is involved in tempting our Lord and our Savior. We realize in the New Testament that Satan is called an angel of light, that he's also called a roaring lion seeking somebody to destroy The whole books of Daniel and Revelation are about this incredible conflict through which we live as those on earth and those engaged in the kingdom of heaven. So it's this incredible conflict. We see a little bit of this revealed in sort of tangible terms in the book of 2 Kings, where there Elijah is being pursued by the Syrian king. He wants to kill Elijah because he keeps revealing his whereabouts so he can't defeat the armies of Israel. And so Elijah holds up in a particular city, goes to bed at night, wakes up in the morning, his servant gets up, goes out onto the walls of the city, and he's just horrified because the whole Syrian army is surrounding the city. And he comes running back to Elisha and he says, Elisha, Elisha, what are we going to do? And we have Elisha's great, great word where Elisha prayed and he said, Oh Lord, please open his eyes that he might see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. That when he opened his eyes to see past the physical, he saw this incredible spiritual battle with which God was fighting on behalf of Elijah. And so this great conflict is again and again and again outlined throughout the Bible. It was this great conflict that absolutely destroyed Daniel emotionally physically and spiritually. The second thing we see in this text is a significant spiritual concern, and it's for the people of God. I am so thankful for the reminder of Daniel. He wasn't in this world for himself. He was in this world um, concerned about the people of God and the purposes of God and the way of God in this world. And clearly, you come to these verses and you see there was something that was troubling Daniel. After all, you you don't decide to go uh, in mourning and to go without food and to go without ointment and to just commit yourself to prayer for as long as it takes if there's nothing that you're thinking about. Clearly, something was on Daniel's mind. It was in his heart that drove him to this serious um, sort of contest with God or this time of prayer with God. And the timing of his praying wasn't by accident. 
He says that it was during, it was uh, when, when the angel came to it, it was on the 21st day of the first month. Well, the first month is when they celebrated the Passover. And Daniel had been praying and mourning through the Passover. And the Passover began on the 14th day of the month. It was a day in which the people of Israel remembered God's great and mighty work in their deliverance. How God saved them from the hands of Egypt. How God brought them through the Red Sea. How God then delivered them uh, through the 40 years in the wilderness. And so it was this incredible time of focused thinking on the power and mighty deliverance of God. And I don't think it was by coincidence that Daniel is engaged in this serious time of prayer over which uh, the people are also reflecting on God's deliverance. I think there was something, though, more that was at work in Daniel's heart. There is very clearly uh, going on, uh, I think in Daniel's mind, a time of discouragement. You say, well, where does that come from? Well, I said, as I said, a couple of years earlier, this same king, Cyrus, had said to the, the captives, you can go free, go home. The strange thing is that only a small number of them did. The rest of them chose to stay in Babylon. Now, I, the Bible doesn't tell us why they chose to stay there, but I'm sure it must have been something of a discouragement to Daniel. As he looked all around him and he, he saw them in their homes and their houses, they were no longer singing the songs of Zion. They had planted themselves firmly in Babylon and didn't really care about going home to Jerusalem. And his heart was probably thinking, really? Like, you don't want to go back to the, the beautiful city? And on top of that, I'm sure news was beginning to trickle back now. It had been two years since the first exiles had gone back. And Ezra, in chapter 4, verses 1 to 4, tells us of the incredible opposition that the people of God were facing. They had gone back to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the city walls, and they were just getting hammered by those who were discouraging them, by those that were trying to stop them. In fact, they were accusing them of lying and of, of, of insubordination against the Persian kings. And they even got a letter sent back to the king's son to say, you need to stop the work. These guys are being insubordinate. And Daniel must have been thinking, really? God, how can this be? You, you, the seven years of exile is up. You sent your people back, and now they can't even complete the work that you've called them to do. And I wonder if Daniel himself, why was Daniel in Persia still? And I wonder if it was God's hand on him in a, in a way of saying, Daniel, you can be of more value here in Babylon over these next couple of years than you can back in Jerusalem. I've got tons of able-bodied men and women that can build the temple and build the wall, but I need a few men and women who will fall on their knees and fall flat on their face and cry out to God and plead with God on behalf of God's work. But the people of Jerusalem, it seemed, probably needed the most at this time was somebody who would engage in the hidden strategic work of prayer for the defense and the advance of the kingdom of God and the work of God in Jerusalem. And Daniel had seen the power of prayer. He had already experienced the, the fact that God does respond to his prayers and answer his prayers. And it's something that we've been reminded of again, that prayer matters and that prayer makes a difference. And so as Daniel engages in this self-discipline and this, this, this discernment of the needs of the people, he, just, he sort of storms the throne of God, so to speak, with the needs of the people and the needs of the kingdom of God. It's an incredible insight into Daniel and his spiritual warfare before the throne of God. Clearly, it also is a bit of a time of confusion for Daniel. Daniel uh, wanted to know more clearly about what God was up to. 
He wasn't just satisfied with having this vision or this revelation from God that he gets in chapter 7 and chapter 8. And now he was wrestling with the 70 weeks that God had said was coming. And Daniel didn't get it and he didn't understand it. And in fact, when the angel comes to him, he says to him, Understand the words that I speak to you. From the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before God. In other words, part of what Daniel was doing is he was crying out for God for understanding and wisdom. And I think sometimes we can learn from Daniel's approach to the Word of God. When we come up and bump up against things that we don't get or things we don't understand, rather than close our Bible, put it on the shelf, and go about our work, maybe we ought to just commit ourselves to a day or two or a week or two and say, God, I need help. I need wisdom. I need insight. And I'm not going to leave here until you help me understand what it is you're trying to say or what it is you're trying to reveal to me. It just shows some great intensity in the mind of Daniel to get to know the heart of God. And as I was reflecting on this, I was also full of thankfulness to many in our congregation who are very much like Daniel. There are many of us who yet have the strength to do the physical work of the ministry. and We can get out there and we can do the work and we can build the things that need to be built. But there is a spiritual battle that is behind all of that that we need men and women who will commit to and take that up as we go about the work of the Lord. And they get up in the morning or they get up at night and they they don't leave their house but they go to their prayer closet or they go to their living room or they go to their special chair or they fall on their knees and they plead before God on behalf of you and I as a congregation and on behalf of the work of God in our community. And I thank God for the men and women that have that drive and that compulsion and that burden and that confidence that God will hear them when they pray on behalf of you and our community. And may God raise up even more that will be committed to holding themselves up in the privacy of their own house and calling out to God on our behalf. Ian Bounds observed that while the church is looking for better methods, God is looking for better men. For people are God's methods. Thirdly, Daniel gets a little glimpse of God and his sufficiency On the 24th day, Daniel is on the bank of the great river, the Tigris. And he uses this little word in verse 5 where he says, And I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood before me. I don't want to make too much of this little word, but this little word is used five times in this chapter, and it's actually used often in the Bible. And I think it's an important word, and this is the way that I sort of understand this word in my own life. It ought to have the same effect on us as if, if you kind of come home one day and uh, you, you walk in your house and you're walking down the hall to go to your bedroom or something and your kid is behind the door and as you just get to the right point, they jump out and they go, boo! And it just scares you to death. It gets your attention. It wakens you up. The hair on the back of your head stands up and you're just about ready to punch them and you're like, oh, that's my kid. I can't do that. But it gets your attention. And I think that that's what Daniel is trying to convey here. That this is something significant. This is something alerting. This is something attention-getting that has taken place. It's like I lifted up my eyes and behold, boo! There's this man of God standing before him. Who is this man? As Daniel tries to describe him to us. I love the words of Sinclair Ferguson. He says, he ransacks the vocabulary of precious metals 
stones, and natural elements to describe the inexpressible beauty that he beheld. As you think about this individual that's now before Daniel, this man that has appeared to him clothed in linen, there's at least three options that have been given of who this individual is. Some want to say that it's Gabriel. Gabriel appeared in chapter 9 and came and talked to Daniel. It would seem to me, though, if it was Gabriel, he would mention him by name again. Why not? He just mentioned him in chapter 9. And why wouldn't he say, and Gabriel appeared to me? I'm not convinced it's Gabriel. Many more would say that this is a Christophany, or this is a, a, an appearance of Christ before he came to the earth in an incarnate form. And we have a number of those in the Old Testament. The description that's given here of this individual is very much like the one that's given in Revelation chapter 1. And Daniel responds with great words of reverence and awe and fear as this man appears to him. Yet I wrestle with this identification because, one, it's very clear he's a man. And it seems to suggest that the humanity of this individual, the creational aspect of this individual, is at the forefront. Secondly, it, it, we'll find later that this, this man was sent to Daniel. It seems very strange to me that Christ would be sent uh, and Christ would come in that way in response to our prayers. A little bit later, Daniel will also say that this, this man will say, I was restrained for 21 days in coming to you. Well, it seems strange to me that Christ would restrain by anyone. And so while I hold this maybe lightly, I don't think it's a Christophany. What I do think we have here is a picture of an unnamed angel. It's an angel, though, that represents the glory and the power and the majesty and the might of God. It's an individual being that was sent out by God to represent God sort of as ambassador and to do God's bidding. And in fact, the description that you have of this angel, I want to call him a cherubim because it's almost identical with the description that you have in Ezekiel chapter 1 of the four cherubim that are flying around in Ezekiel's vision. And so for me, at this point, my understanding is that this is an unnamed angel that comes with this vision to Daniel. It's not really important, though, for us to identify the, angel, uh, the individual as much as it is to understand the impact. I don't know if you listened as Pastor Barry was reading this, but the impact on Daniel and those around him was significant. Daniel was at the bank of the Tigris with, with other people. And it says that when, when, when this angelic being appeared, that they were suddenly terrified and they ran away and hid. They were terrified. They didn't see the individual, but they could sense his magnificent presence. And Daniel was left there all alone. And then he describes what he went through. He says, my strength left me. My face grew deadly pale. I felt very weak. I heard the sound of his voice. I fainted and I lay there with my face to the ground. Still trembling, I got up on my hands and my knees. Stand up, he said to me, and I was still trembling. Don't be afraid. I looked to the ground, unable to say a word. I was filled with anguish. I am very weak. I can hardly breathe. This experience took his breath away. He was devastated. He was drained. He was dead-like as this angelic being stood before him. 
And I know part of it, if ever you've tried to fast and you've gone more than three or four days, you know after not eating for a week or a week and a half that you get very weak and you, your, your body is just like done. So I'm sure that part of what was going on here was Daniel was just physically exhausted from 21 days of prayer and from a restricted diet. But he was terrified and in awe as this angelic figure came and spoke to him. I think in Daniel chapter 10, why is so much time given to describe his state? Doesn't it seem strange to you? Like verse after verse, phrase after phrase, describes for us Daniel's physical and spiritual state. His slow and progressive recovery as the angel again and again three times touches him. A beautiful picture of the, the healing and the helping hand of God through his ministering servants, the angels. And three times this angel touches him, and each time he regains a significant amount of strength. I think part of why we are given this extended look at Daniel is that we are meant to get something of a glimpse of the glory and the power and the majesty and the beauty of God even though it's radiated through a ministering servant, through an angelic being who is sent out by God to give Daniel the vision, nonetheless, Daniel is just in awe and he's overwhelmed by this experience of seeing this individual by the river. It's a very different depiction of God from what we see in the culture around us today. We live in a culture that is on very friendly terms with their gods, mild-mannered deity who is far from mellow and uh, or far too mellow kindly he's too kind to send anyone to hell we've transformed God into some kind of cosmic mr. nice guy eager to welcome everybody in the neighborhood to come and know him our culture's God is in many ways like Santa Claus who we've just um, gone through that season he may perhaps threaten to put a coal in your sack in the morning if you're bad but we all know that that's merely an empty threat for after all who has woken up in the morning to find a coal in their stocking and in the final analysis the gods of this world are just too soft to judge anyone and elicit any kind of fearful response there are a variety of responses to angelic visitors in the bible some of them are uh, times of encouragement where people are uh, amazingly encouraged by what the angel has to say to them. Sometimes they are given direction about what to do or where to go. Sometimes they are given information about what is to come. And many times we find them in awe and fear, like Daniel, almost dead before God. This is a significant encounter that Daniel has with God. The words he spoke are fairly significant, too. I don't know, again, if you caught this as Pastor Barry was reading, but he came because of Daniel's prayer. That's astounding. And he said to me, Oh, Daniel, man, greatly loved. I so love that, too. Greatly loved. Understand the words that I speak to you. Stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling and he said to me, Fear not, Daniel. Listen to this. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before God, your words were heard. I just want to stop there for a minute and encourage you, beloved. 
in your prayer life to not be discouraged if you don't have an answer immediately. But to know that the moment you cry out to God, the moment that you utter your need before God, the moment that you bring something before God, He hears you. And there could be any number of reasons why the answer doesn't immediately follow upon that, but be assured that your prayers are heard. And then he goes on and he says, I have come because of your words. If anyone ever says God doesn't answer prayer, take him to Daniel chapter 10. I have come because of your words. Daniel's prayer had reached the very throne of heaven and in the amazing interaction between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man, God sends his angel and says, go to Daniel and tell him what is the result of his prayer. And I've come to make you understand what is to happen to you and your people in the later days, for the vision of the days is yet to come. Aren't we left with the impression here that this visitation would not have occurred if Daniel hadn't prayed? Aren't we left to see in here that there is a direct connection between Daniel's prayer and the appearance of this angel? Somehow it was Daniel's prayer that brought this angel down from heaven. I don't understand the dynamics of it all, and I don't know if this is something that is repeatable in all of our lives. What I do know is God hears and answers and responds to our prayers. And we see it here in Daniel chapter 10. I mean, we see it again in the book of Acts when Peter is thrown in jail. And what does the church do? The church gathers together and they begin praying, God, you've got to save him. And what does God do? He sends an angel and opens the prison doors and lets Peter go free. God answers our prayers. And so in this incredible conflict that is going on, is being fought before the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world, Daniel succeeded in reaching the very throne of heaven and having God send a response in the person of this angelic being. The final point is simply, verse 4, we live in a complex reality. The history of the world around us is complex. And I keep thinking, you know, when I, when I all, all last two, three weeks, I've been thinking, this is going to sound awfully bizarre, what I'm going to say next to some of you. To those of you who have walked with God for years, you will go, no, no, this is my experience. How come it took three weeks to get to Daniel? Is heaven that far away? Kind of like a Mars spaceship that you've got to jump on it. It's going to take us four years to get there going the speed of light. I don't know how that all works, but somehow God is way away, and why it takes an awful long time for those angels to get here. No, if, 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 if I could, if God would, sort of just peel away what we can't see and give us a glimpse into what, we, what is going on behind us, we would be stunned and shocked. It's amazing to me that the world around us is enamored with parallel universes and open to the presence of aliens that have come and will come and might come. We are willing to consider a plurality of universes, many of them which are populated like our own. But you talk to them about angels and heaven and demons, and they look at you like you're just nuts. And yet we come to this view of reality here, and it's one that we all ought to give good consideration to. 
The angel had been delayed for 21 days because he had been engaged in a conflict with the prince of the Persian kingdom. That was not a human being on earth. That was an invisible, demonic, satanic-influenced being. It was an angelic figure associated with the Persian Empire who resists God's purposes and has it out for God's people. It's an evil angel, an agent of Satan. He was only able, though, to delay God's messenger for a period of 21 days because ultimately God's purposes can never be thwarted and God's people are eternally safe because of God's covenant with them. But it seems as though this also contributed to Daniel's reaction because this angelical or a- angelic visitor that came to Daniel had a message with him. It's the vision of chapter 11. And when we get to this next week, you will see how, how difficult this vision really was because it just blew Daniel away to realize the depth of the conflict in which the people of God are engaged. And then this angel says to him, and after I leave you, I'm going to go back to engage this Persian prince, and then I'm going to take on the prince of the kingdom of Greece. What Daniel is revealing to us is this never-ending conflict that has been part of this world since the day it was created and will be part of this world until Jesus Christ comes again. And it's a conflict that takes place in the invisible world around us, which has a direct impact on the material world in which you and I live. And we must not assume that the princes of Persia and the princes of Greece were the only two demonic powers that are at work in the world in which we live. There are a whole host of evil ones bent on destroying the people of God and on thwarting the purposes of God through the structures and the leaders of the people in our world today. As we come to a chapter like chapter 10, I think we need to be very careful not to embellish what we see in chapter 10 and make more of it than God has revealed to us. But we also need to be very careful and not minimize either what God is revealing to us as we come to Daniel chapter 10 about this incredible spiritual conflict that is taking place. The magnitude and power of the spiritual forces arrayed against God's people was sobering to Daniel. I think that's in part what just slaughtered Daniel. Is he, he said, really? Is this what we're up against? Is this what the kingdom of God is actually facing? And these angels' words to him revealed a whole new vista of the difficulty that were facing God's people who were trying to rebuild Jerusalem. You see, they were not just facing physical opposition. They were facing very real spiritual opposition. And the intensity of that spiritual battle was something beyond anything that Daniel had ever thought about. And it's often beyond what anything you and I think about. I keep going back to um, Revelation chapter 12 and the great conflict that took place in heaven. And how there's a war between um, uh, Satan and the angelic forces and Satan was eventually thrown out of heaven. It says the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children, all who keep God's commandment and maintain their testimony for Jesus. You see, the physical troubles that we face, many of them are directly related to the spiritual war that is taking place in the unseen world around us. 
I think we need to continue to think about that as we go about our lives. I don't think we should go and look for sort of like a devil behind every corner, but there is often these realities. Why, why are we in such conflict with our spouse? Is there more to my child's rebellion than just his simple detestation of my rules in our home? Why can't I seek, seem to make headway in my business in this particular area? Why does our church seem to face the difficulties that it faces? Is it just because we're filled with sinful people? Or is there a, a bigger picture that is in place besides just the fact that we're sinful people? I think Daniel 10 reminds us that we are engaged in spiritual warfare in this material world in which we live. I won't read it all. You can do it. But Ephesians chapter 6, Paul seems to get this and summarize it for us. Where he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against what? Your neighbor? Against your wayward child? No, that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. This is the battle that we're engaged in. And it's a spiritual battle. Daniel was seen in a fuller way that the ultimate power struggle was fought not in the realm of physical men and women, but in the spiritual realm. And it's a battle that continues to rage today. Does this supernatural struggle sound frightening and intimidating? It should. It is meant to. History is not then something that simply stretches over the course of men and women and their physical day-to-day lives. Deep beneath its surface, or deep above its surface, is a spiritual battle that is taking place that makes our physical battles pale in comparison. As one individual put it, and I, I love this without trying to be too negative, any way you look at it, life is not a picnic, but a battleground. And this is what Daniel sees in Daniel chapter 10. And so he gives us an insight into the complex reality of the world around us. When you go from here today, I want you to give strong consideration to this, and I hope you will be convinced of the reality of the devil and his very real power. Secondly, I hope that as you go here, from here, you will give consideration to the fact that there is a heavenly dimension very likely to the struggles and the battles that you face on a day-in and day-out basis. And thirdly, that as you go from here, that you remember that as Daniel, you and I don't battle on our own, but that God is on our side and that he is with us and he fights with us and for us. The end of the day, what I hope will rise to the surface in all of our hearts is the role of prayer in this battle. I know there's all sorts of things that, that sometimes people suggest that we do and get engaged in and get involved in, and that may or may be true. But what I know for true, or what I know for certain, is that prayer makes a difference. 
And if we can somehow rally ourselves as moms and dads to be a little bit more committed to praying for our kids, if we can rally ourselves as a church and be a little bit more committed for praying for the people of God and praying for a community, as we can think of the struggles of our brothers and sisters around the world and say, you know what, I might not be able to do a whole lot, but I can pray because prayer makes a difference. And that's what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 after telling us to put on all the armor and to, to fight in the way that we're supposed to fight. He says there then in the end, and he says, and, and, and take on the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. If you feel you can't do anything else, pray. Because prayer matters. Daniel then helps us realize the power of prayer because it is his, his influence, his prayer that made a difference in the spiritual realm. Mary, Queen of Scots, is reported to have said that she feared the prayers of John Knox more than she feared an invading army. She understood what that man could do on his knees, no army could do with all its weaponry. And this is the point then of this great introduction to this vision that we'll look at next week. It's to give us insight into this great conflict that is waging all around us and that will rage until Christ comes back. It's to open our eyes to the spiritual reality of the world in which we live and encourage our part in it, which is prayer. May God help us as we walk with Christ, as we see the throne of God in heaven occupied, to come regularly and often before God with prayers and petitions on behalf of His people and with the desire that His kingdom come and His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we thank You for your word today, as it comes to us through the book of Daniel. And Father, it can be, for some, a sort of fairy tale thinking. For some of us, it can be a sobering reminder and a wake up again to the reality of what we live in and the world in which we are part of. I pray, Father, that we would be encouraged, that we would have our eyes opened as Daniel did to the great conflict that wages all around us in the heavenlies and on earth, but that we'd have the great confidence that Daniel had that you are on the throne and that you are raging this battle and you will win it. We pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen.